This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. Get ready for insights from a brilliant marketer. Today, I talked to Julie DeLoca, who is the head of Loca Marketing. Her career spans the agency world, the fashion world, the consulting world, and she did it all with really, really smart thinking. Take a listen. Welcome, Julie, to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, and thank you for that fantastic introduction. I am so excited to have you here today, Julie. And, you know, of course, we are longtime friends from The List, which is an incredible women's networking group of these incredible women. All my favorite people. The best, the best. And to get into that group, you really have to have achieved some pretty significant things. You and I always talk about this, like looking at these incredible women and all that they've accomplished. And I'd love to talk about what you've accomplished in your career, because looking at your career, you've had a pretty phenomenal run. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about it? I've had sort of a funny career. I feel sometimes a little bit like... um... Al Pacino in, in uh, The Godfather, you know, like I keep trying to get out of advertising and they keep right. pulling me back in. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I started out in the ad agency world um, way, way back when. Um, I like to say in the days when there were big budgets and ad agencies were still fun and, and, and a tough place for women to work. But I sort of fell into it. I never thought I would be an advertising person. I studied philosophy in college, and then I thought I would travel around the world and and write articles for Condé Nast Traveler. And uh, I went for my interview with Condé Nast when I graduated from Colgate, and they said, okay, sit down here and take a typing test. I said, what? (laughs) Unless you could type 60 words a minute, you could not get a job at Condé Nast. So um, I, I ended up being an intern at Kirschenbaum and Bond and Partners. Wow. Yeah. So you, you couldn't pass the typing test, so then you went over to Kirschenbaum and Bond. And so tell me, tell me a little bit about that start and what you did there. Sure. So actually, the, the woman who had gotten me my interview at Condé Nast also worked with the media department at KMB. And so she said, well, why don't we try this instead? And she interviewed, you know, she introduced me over there. And I ended up, um, I called myself sort of an interdepartmental surf because I worked for everybody and not knowing anything about advertising, it's kind of the best way to get a feel for the business. So I worked in the media department, I worked in the creative department, I worked in um, art buying, I worked for John Bond, I worked for Richard Kirschenbaum. Um, I did things like uh, go out at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning with a team of creatives and spray paint on the streets of New York City um, a template that said, from here it looks like you could use some new underwear, which was a campaign for bamboo lingerie at the time. (laughs) Wow. So really getting 
uh, the jack of all trades sort of experience there. Pretty much, yeah. Um, but you know, not getting paid gets old quickly. So um, I said, well, I looked at everybody there who was at this small, cool agency, and and they had all come from big agencies, and decided I should go and get a real education in advertising. So I got a job as an account executive at um, Lintas at the time, which on the IBM business. So I worked for um, eight guys on computers and uh, I sort of worked my way up from there to work on um, computers and printers. And then I worked on Diet Coke International and then I, and Maybelline. And then I decided I wanted to go to the West Coast and get the heck out of New York City. Mm. And I went to San Francisco and I worked um, on the Levi's business for a couple of years at Foucault and Belding out there, okay. which was just an incredible, super fun experience. Um, it kind of got me into that retail um, fashion world, which I was sort of found my niche in. Um, and I stayed in San Francisco for a while. Then I moved down to Los Angeles where I helped launch a web company. This was my first um, foray in trying to leave advertising. Okay. And I launched a company called Models on the Net with a group of people, um, which was really like this was 1999, so kind of the very early beginnings of, um, of the Internet. And I would go and demo this casting service for models and photographers and stylists. And I would go into modeling agencies and explain to them how it would work. And they'd say, well, all right, I think there's a computer in the mail room. Let's see if uh, we can find somebody who knows the password. Uh, <laughs> or you'd go to a photographer's office and they'd have to, you know, do the dial up. It just wasn't even that long ago. That's what's so crazy. It's like when you no. think about it, it's not that long ago that it was that way. No, and it was unbelievable. And and people didn't want it. They wanted their big, heavy portfolios of yeah, model the binders. books. Yeah. 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 And and mailing out cards constantly and you'd say, But you don't understand, you can save so much time, you can save so much money, you don't have to print all that, you don't have to waste all that paper. And people just didn't want to do it. It was just too soon. Wow. Yeah, um, but it was so much fun. I mean, and I loved kind of being a part of that. And and when I came back to New York and I went back into advertising, um, a lot of that kind of entrepreneurialism stayed with me. Yes. So um, I did come back here and I actually uh, was working with a production company creating content for the web. And that's where I met my husband. So I decided it was it was a, a meant to be kind of thing and I should stay in New York. There you go. And, um, yeah. And, Advertising and, but I pulled you back and New York pulled you back. Both. Average, you know, New York pulled me back. And then um, I ended up going back into the agency business um, at Gotham, mm. working on the Maybelline business there and then moving on and, and kind of running their fashion business, which was Liz Claiborne and um, Aerosols and Redkin and some other Maybelline stuff, some other L'Oreal brands, some J&J stuff. And uh, I ended up staying in the agency business for about another 10 years, I guess, until I decided that I wanted to switch over and be on the client side. Wow. So that's after a, a lot of experience on the agency side. What's the key skill or trait that you need to be successful and grow on the agency side of the business? I think you really need to be able to roll up your sleeves and do just about anything. Yeah. I mean, I think fundamentally it's a client service business and you need to completely immerse yourself in your clients and their business. You need to know their business almost as well or better than they do in some sense. Yeah. 
and then you just need to be able to, to do whatever it takes to make it work. You know, I'll be on a set and if the client or the, the talent needs a Starbucks and I'll go out and get it. You know, it doesn't matter what level you get to. Totally. I think you just kind of learn that you want to take care of everybody on that set. So I think it helps being a working mother. Yeah. <laughs> because you understand exactly. In our blood. So you wanted um, to go to the brand side then. You know, what happened was I found that as much as I loved what I was doing and I thought that I knew everything about the client's business, I was only doing one piece of it. And it would be very frustrating to see a campaign come out and be, you know, wonderfully received but not move the needle on the business. And I wanted to have a little bit more control over everything else. And I wanted to really understand how the fashion and retail world worked. And I went to Rebecca Minkoff. And I thought, I am a marketing and branding expert. I've been working in fashion. I can sell all this stuff. I know everything there is to know. And I almost started at the bottom. I mean, I worked for a a president of that company who was so smart about business. And I just realized there's this whole other side, this non-glamorous side of retail that's really about creating products and selling them and and selling hard. Um, And it was understanding consumers, understanding the retail environment, understanding buyers, understanding wholesale and retail and salespeople and consumers. And, and, you know, the marketing is just one small part of it. And I loved being in this very small, very entrepreneurial um, and very innovative space to work in. Incredible. Um, Yeah, it was really great because I learned so much about the retail side of the business. But at the same time, um, Ori Minkoff, who is the CEO of Rebecca Minkoff and her brother, comes from a technology background. And he's an incredibly innovative guy. And everything we did had to have some sort of a digital and social bent to it. You know, they wanted to be known for being truly innovative, not just in design and fashion, but in technology and in the way that we were marketing things. It's so interesting that you say that because many, many um, fashion <clears throat> retailers and in general uh, luxury brands shy away from social because they feel it's sort of beneath them. And so I love I love to hear that about Rebecca Mankoff. Absolutely. I mean, she was an early adopter of so much social um, technology at the time, and she is truly her consumer. And she was kind of sharing her own journey as a designer, as a woman, as a mother, um, with her audience and they loved it and they loved seeing that very sort of personal side to her. And I think that helped build the brand so much. I mean, she really did all of her own social media for such a long time. And every once in a while you'll see where she has taken over and her people have left off because it'll be all about her kids or it'll be her weekend away or it'll be her trip through Japan with her family in tow. And I, I think it really helped her consumers identify with her and, and love her products even more. And so what was next for you after that? From there, I went on to work at Ali Tahari, which was yep. a pretty completely different experience, um, a much bigger company, uh, very old school, very um, just a, a different way of doing business, um, you know, much more public relations run, not quite as digital, um, trying to to move the needle. And it was just, it was a place filled with politics, which Mm. many, many companies have. Um, And it's interesting now I, I, um, I'm doing a lot of mentoring through the New York fashion tech lab and I'm mentoring all these young companies who are trying to sell all of these amazing digital solutions to these retail companies. 
And I say to them all the time, you know, you have to meet the brands where they are. And very few of them are where you are in terms of technology in the space. They don't understand it. It's not their mentality. They don't come from this world. And, um, you know, they're just not there yet. So you have to sort of go backwards and teach them um, and and walk them through it. You know, I talk to them a lot about client service and holding their hands. And, you know, they're going to want a sort of compassionate side to you. And that was the case at, at Tahari. I mean, they just... They really weren't there digitally, and there was, and and in in terms of innovation in general, and I found that I couldn't get a lot done from the inside, which is kind of why I started my own company. It's really interesting you say that. I just was meeting with a girl, a young girl that I I is like pretty early in her career, and she's having a challenge with this kind of similar thing where because the company is kind of old school and the boss is kind of old school and they don't have the experience, she's having trouble making an impact. Do you think that there's any way that you can get around that? Or do you think the only solution is to leave? Is there any way when you're stuck at a company that's a little more either old school or in a uh, very corporate or political, uh, is there any way to create impact? Do you have any advice or should you just leave? Is the economy good enough that you can say, boom, I'm going to go find something else? There is a way, and I think if you if you are not senior enough to affect change yourself, then you should um, identify a space where you can be really effective. You know, yep. figure out what you want to do, and find a champion. Because I do believe that if you are truly passionate about something, you can make it happen. But everybody needs a champion in a big company like that. You do, you do. It was so interesting because I was listening to her, and I was like, "You're such a passionate, smart young woman," and I ha- I want to give you the right type of advice to navigate through that. But it's sometimes, you know, in a way she was similar in that she had an entrepreneurial spirit and you think like, sometimes it's just great to go start your own thing too. And so it's, you know, at your point, when you're starting your company here, you had already had a massive amount of experience. Um, But I think it's interesting to hear how people think within companies that have that sort of stymied corporate culture. It's challenging. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, you know, I've always sort of had this, entrepreneurial spirit and it definitely was thwarted at some agencies in some places you know there are old boy networks and and old school mentalities that just are never going to change and you can bang your head against the wall long enough until you, you just can't um, and but I think in some cases you can find a champion and you can you can try and fix things but you and can't you, change the world. You should try you and can. find one thing that you can do, yes. not everything. Yes, yes. You have to set your own expectations too, I think. When you when you started your company, tell me a little bit about what you started and how you grew it, where you are today. Um, well, what happened was, you know, again, I had now seen what the limitations were on both sides of the business, and I thought um, – you know, on the agency side of the business, you can come up with all of this beautiful branding and marketing and terrific, smart identity. You can come up with great taglines. You can do great campaigns. But then when you hand it over to the client side, it, it changes and everybody sort of wants to make it their own. And people want to do things a little differently. And when you're inside, you may also be a champion of the brand, but you may run up against somebody else who wants to do it in their own way. You know, a lot of companies have separate profit centers for things. So I said, let me go in from the outside almost as a consultant, which is a word that I don't really relish, um, and call myself more of a brand champion. Mm. Would be my own, cha- you know, the champion for for what we want to do, and try and create this synergy across all touch points. 
So, you know, the first project that I did in a big way like that was Capizio. And I really had to kind of immerse myself in this culture and take this 128-year-old dance brand that was really known for ballet um, and kind of bring it into the present day, you know, make it a little bit more relevant. So, you know, elevating all of their look and feel, but not just, um, you know, not just changing a campaign, but actually, um, you know, changing everything over internally and externally. And changing perception, right? You had to really change the, the narrowly focused concept of them being a ballet brand. Absolutely. I mean, mm. we had to go out and hire new talent for them. We had to shoot a completely different kind of photography for them. You know, they had always done this very staid, traditional um, dance photography, and I brought in all of these beautiful, talented um, fashion photographers to work with these dancers. But it was a really interesting kind of learning curve for me because I thought we could just bring in these fashion photographers and they would light these clothes in a beautiful way and the dancer would hit a pose and we would have a great shot. But what would happen was the photographer would want to have them do something fashion-y and the dancer would not be able to do that because they are Mm. so disciplined. So we had to kind of find a little happy medium between the two and I ended up having a choreographer on set who I would work with to kind of find that pose or that movement or that look that was really beautiful and and stunning, but also technically accurate. That is really incredible. And so when you started the business and you started your first, sounds like PTO was like one of your first big projects that you worked on. uh, Did you have any reservations about jumping in as an entrepreneur or were you looking at it like, wow, I should have done this earlier? Or was it a little bit of both? I wish I could say that it was a, um, <laughs> that there was a grand plan for launching my own yes. business, but yes. I really didn't. I really just kind of fell into it. <laughs> you fell into it. Fell and the company it. has kind of evolved around me. <laughs> which is great, which is great because the company evolving around you creates the lifestyle and the business and the life you want. Absolutely. I mean, I wanted to be able to work on this project because I loved it and I was really passionate about it. I loved the idea that I could spend a little bit more time at home. I could be a little more flexible in my hours and my time. Yes. You know, I could actually be here in the afternoon sometimes when my children got home from school, but I could also do something that I really loved, which I think is, a, you know, a balance that I've been fighting for for 13 years now. So Incredible. Incredible. And so tell me in terms of social media, how active of a social media user are you and what is your network of choice? I am a fairly active social media person, not super active. Yeah. Um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Instagram is probably my favorite because um, I don't say a lot on there, so I can't get in trouble for anything. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Instagram also is so great in the fashion space, right? It's fantastic in the fashion space. Um, I think it's really it's really good for me because I really do believe that you have to be able to get your message across very simply and clearly. And if I can't do that in a photo and a few lines, then I shouldn't do it at all. Exactly. I love it. So what's next for you? What's happening? What's big? Um, well, one of my big projects right now is actually managing my daughter's social media, which is kind of funny. She's launched this cake baking business, which is unbelievable. And just my posting about her on Facebook, um, has, has helped her 
this business grow, I mean, which is kind of amazing because she's 11 years old, but she's making these phenomenal cakes. And so it's kind of fun to, to navigate that. I love it. You're breeding a fellow, a future entrepreneur right there. I'm trying. She's a, she's a lister in the making. She is a lister in the making. I love it. <laughs> well, Julie, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're one fabulous social lady. Oh, thank you so much, Carrie. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.